Keeping Track, and you're listening to Molly Huddle, Alicia Montano, and Roisin McGettigan-Dumas. We want to highlight the important topics, inspiring stories, and amazing women in sport. We're three Olympians from two countries, two moms, and one current pro coming together to talk about issues we're passionate about in the sports world. And we care about the current and future landscape of women's sports. And this is just how we're keeping track. Big shout out to Saucony for sponsoring our season two production costs. At Saucony, a good day is when we get to run. A great day is when we inspire someone else to run. Run for good and thanks for keeping track. Welcome back to Keeping Track. We are here with Waddling Jonathan, who was part of that exciting third place finish for the last spot in the 400 meters for our U.S. Olympic team. You may remember her from Doha. She made the team in 2019 and finished fourth and was the 2018 NCAA champion and has run one of the fastest college 400 meter times ever. So we are super excited to talk to you, Waddling. How are you? Um, pretty good. I just like to say it's 2019 and say I'll do not 2018. Oh, okay, okay, <laughs> right, Molly. <laughs> so, well done. So, so you went from that season right on to the world championships. That was your first team right out of college. Yeah, I would say that was my first team in college. <laughs> yeah, I hadn't graduated yet. Um, I was still, I was just getting started on my senior year. I just graduated oh, last oh, May. Oh, congratulations. Wow. Thank you. And now you're going to the Olympics. Not, yes, I am. It's so exciting. <laughs> well done. That's exciting. Yeah. How does it feel like now that, you know, you made it? Feels pretty good. You know, I think the first day was just like when I felt the most excited. But then the second day, I was just very tired and hungry and I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. You know, it was just a lot. But now it's just like, it's almost as if like it never happened, you know, just got to move on to the next thing, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it was like a big high and then a big crash. And then now it's like, oh, and life goes on. <laughs> yeah, we see you're back, you're back the, training. Yeah, I am. Um, so the crash was very quick. It didn't take long for the crash to happen. I think yeah. the tension was just so high. The instant like we got done, it was just like the crash followed like the day after. Mm-hmm. I got back on a Monday and Tuesday, I was already like getting back into training. So it it happened pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. And how many weeks is it till Tokyo, till you race? Um, So I start racing on the 3rd of August. So I guess about four weeks. Yeah. (laughs) So Wadalene, are you still with your college coach? And can you tell us where is that and who is that? Um, yes, I am still with my college coach, and um, it's here at South Carolina, the University of South Carolina and um, Columbia, and my coach name is Kareem. Excellent. And we were in New England. We live in Providence, Rhode Island, which isn't too far from Boston. So can you tell us where you grew up and where you started in school? 
Okay, so when I came here, I, I lived in Malden, which is right outside of um, Boston. You know, it's close to, to Tuft University. And I lived there for about four years, um, give or take. And I did move to Worcester when I got um, to the age of like 15. And then I did move back and I lived in Dorchester once um, I went to college. So I went to UMass Boston and I was living in Dorchester. So it's, it's not too far. It's at the same time, it's like, I don't know. I feel like I've been living all over the place yeah. in Massachusetts. So, What do you think about USC then? What is it like down there compared to the Northeast? Uh, the, like if I'm comparing the school, it's really big. The school, I remember first time being on campus, um, you know, we, we get out of one class and we have to drive to the next class, but then obviously there's no parking. And if you can make class in 20 minute walk, that like that's that'd be like really good. So which is crazy because in my older school, you know, we only had to walk across campus, which which would be like maybe five minutes at most. And I thought that that was like crazy. So coming here was just really different. And here it's like they're really big on football. Um, and it's like a football town, you know what I mean? Sport is really big here. And I, I, I didn't get that at my older school. So that was just one thing that I had to get adjusted to, you know, the athletes, like we get so much, everyone, like they, they work with the athletes to make sure like you are able to perform like really good often on the track. Whereas I feel like it wasn't really like that. Because like athletes were not really seen as, you know, as important. I feel like in my right. older school. So yeah, has that been helpful? Like for you, have you liked that extra support? And yeah, yeah. I think being in one of like, you know, a power five school, and also just being an athlete in general. Like I don't really, I don't think the level if it's D one, D two, JUCO. I think being an athlete, it's a lot on you to take on by yourself. So I think the not I think the support really did it it helped because even with the support sometimes you feel like you're drowning. Mm-hmm. So I think without the support it just feel like you're by yourself trying to navigate everything. And I think we all need someone to help us <laughs> navigate things because we forget we have homework sometimes we forget mm-hmm. to give those traveling letters and all of those. So mm-hmm. I think that was really a huge help. So like yeah. Yeah. And now you're graduated. Are you glad to be done with that side of things? You can turn in pro now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm very happy to be done. I mean, when I did turn pro, I was still in school. So one of the things that happened in 2019 was I had to cut back on class going into world. Um, so in 2020, I also had to like keep cutting back on classes because I was traveling and my professors, they were working with me, you know, like they would send me the homework online or I'd be doing independent study. So that, that, was, that was really good that they were working with me, but I couldn't take as much of a load as I would like to. So maybe I took like two classes a semester instead of five or six of them. But I think that's why it also took me a little bit longer to graduate because yeah. I was on track to graduate on time. But then with going pro, I had to extend it that by like yeah. almost a year. Today's podcast is brought to you by Loop. Loop is a fitness wearable that provides 24-7 personalized insights around your sleep, recovery, and daily activity. Whether you're running your first 5K or your 10th marathon, Loop can help you train smarter and recover faster so you can get to the start line healthy. 
Personally, I've been using Loop for a couple of weeks and my favorite feature is the sleep analyzer function. It tells me how many hours of sleep I really got versus how much I need based on my day's physical strain and even the quality of that sleep. So that's been pretty cool to see. Whoop is offering 15% off with the code TRACK at checkout. So go to Whoop, W-H-O-O-P dot com and enter TRACK, T-R-A-C-K at checkout to save 15%. Sleep better, recover faster, and run faster. Get to the start line healthy with Whoop. How was the pandemic for your training in school? Like, did you stay at school? Were you at home? What happened for 2020 for you? So because I'm a pro, I was, I'm no longer, or I, I was no longer under the university starting the year of 2020. So, I mean, there was no school to begin with, kind of, um, everyone had to go home, but I, I do live here now, you know, I train here, so I have to live here. Um, it, it was very tough because we couldn't use the facility, um, even though it's a public track, but since my coach, coach is at the university, you know, mm-hmm. I'm complaining. We couldn't use it, so we had to find other tracks. And then when things got really bad, those other tracks got shut down as well. Mm-hmm. Like it happened all over the nation, yeah. kind of thing. So we'd like we'd go on the sidewalk, the streets. So they'd be like um, walking parks. So we'd I would be running three fifty, like zigzagging through, and it was just so hard to keep moving. Yeah, uh, it was it was very hard, but we we did adjust to the best we could. You know, sometimes if we find like open fields, we'd be running on the open fields, but my ankles would like would be screaming because the field is uneven. You know, you're landing in all sort of ways. But um, my coach was very determined to not lose any of the progress we had made, mm-hmm. so we had to complete the training cycle as if we were still going to the Olympics. And I think because no one knew if the Olympic would be canceled like completely until later on, we were still training for that in case it didn't get canceled. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Wadaline, that paid off. That training paid <laughs> off. You made your first Olympic team and you kind of stayed the course through all that chaos. Um, one of the things I loved, I saw on Twitter after your race, you commented on sort of unequal media coverage um, at the finish of the 400. And I was wondering if you could elaborate on that, because here at Keeping Track, we really agree with you on that. We want to see everyone's story told. There's Your story is amazing. I read the article, which we'll link by Ellen yeah. Abrahamson for a little more in-depth background. But feel free to talk about that and just can you elaborate more on what happened afterwards uh, in the interview process and with the media? Okay, so to start with, I think when I made that tweet, a lot of people took it as if that tweet was being targeted toward just one person. Mm-hmm. But that week was not even about anyone in particular because it was just across the board. It wasn't just the 400. It was the it was all of the events, you know. But I think since I made the tweet and I came there, so people were like, oh, my gosh, she's targeting this one. But so I'm like, no, I'm not. Because it wasn't that person that was holding the camera to be like, okay, like I'm putting that attention on me. But I just felt like it wasn't fair, not just to me, but to other athletes that's been working hard. You know, for a lot of us, it's been our dream to make an Olympic team. And when that gets to come true and we're not really being like ourselves, not really being told or we're not really getting the credit that we deserve. And it's y'all probably already know it's very hard <laughs> to make any team, but the U.S. team, it's really hard to make. Mm-hmm. So I think when something like this happens, it, it's only fair to treat 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. All top three. I mean, it might not be equal, but it's only fair to treat them um, similar. So there is not the the sense like, well, my work is not really being, um, I, I don't think that's the word, but um, complimented or something like that. It's not getting the recognition, I think. Yeah, it's, recognition. Yeah. it's not getting the recognition. Mm-hmm. But I think, um, as I said in one of the, in the article, but I, th- I think the difference for me was it really, I felt really like an outsider to the mm-hmm. event because I felt like the, the, the one thing everyone, the common <laughs> denominator everyone had in common <laughs> was kids. And as someone who does not have kids yet, it made me feel like, well, I feel like I need to have kids in order for my work to be recognized. And I think that was the only difference between the 400 and then the other events. The other events, they were focusing on just the athletes, whereas the 400, it was like, it wasn't about the athletes, it was about Mm -hmm. the kids. And since I didn't have kids, I was excluded from all of this. And it's not a feeling, it's not a good feeling for anybody yeah, so, and you're at a different true. phase of life than um, Allison and um, Quinera, and they have kids, and you're just out of college, and you don't have 23. kids. So your story is equally as amazing. It just didn't fit in with the public interest piece of look at the kids playing on the track, which we love. Of course, we. I know you. You were very gracious, and you went and like you know played with the kids too. But can you tell us a little bit about your background and? how valuable your story and inspiring your story is and just the fact that it's yours. I think when it comes to storytelling, it's very hard. And I'd like to put it out there. Like I have a lot of nieces and nephews and I'm like the second mom to them. So I love <laughs> them a lot. So they just yeah. happen to not have been at the track meet. So that's why I didn't have a, like baby ducks following me around. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I do love kids though. Um, I think um, with the, crazy thing with stories is that we all have our stories and sometimes it's not what other people want it to be. But I think with my story is telling it, it's not always easy for us to tell our stories. Sometimes we feel like we're going to get um, judged or people going to look down upon us. And I do have a lot more to my story. Obviously I had to tell it at my own time mm-hmm. and I have to wait till I'm ready to tell it. But I felt like it was only fair for me to put a little bit more out there because I know people say as well we don't know anything about you and which is fair because I'm very um I'm I'm such a private person and everything that's put out there it's it's not enough to know about me. Well I'm still learning about me. So yeah, that your story is in progress. Yeah. Definitely definitely progress, you know. <laughs> but I do feel like I think the biggest thing I never really wanted anyone to know that I was homeless you know when I was 15 but then again even in the interview I didn't really want to say that I was also homeless when I was 18 because I'm like I'm not ready to tell um that part yet you know even though it was for like a short time because I was older like old enough to work at that point kind of thing um you know and I I think I decided to tell that because a lot of people are probably going through the same thing but when we're going through the now stories, which is a reality of our past. We, 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 we put up a front. We don't let people know what's going on because we only tell those stories after the fact. Um, Cause if we're telling it during the fact, the people may get a lot of different ideas about us. So we really try to mask it all mm-hmm. and be the 
best version of us on the outside, but really we're drowning on the inside. Um, yeah. And I think, I think I told it so people don't just think, you know, like, hey, this is just someone that's just talented. No, we we have struggles, you know. Mm-hmm. And the more we tell our stories, the more other people can feel like they're not alone because it's so easy to feel alone in what's happening. But it's also such a good thing to have hope, you know, knowing it won't always be like this. Yeah, yeah. And what you've lived through already, you're like still rising to the top. Like, wow, like that's resilience, you know. <laughs> That's yeah. And I understand yeah. what you're saying, how you know the public's not entitled to every single thing about you just so that you can be marketed in a certain way. You should be able to choose like what is my story? What do I want to tell? When do I want to tell it? Mm-hmm. Um it was interesting. We were missing Alicia on this call, but she weighed in when we talked about things. She's had experience on the other side of the microphone as sort of a commentator and um has called races before and she was saying, you know, we like to see athletes give us a little bit of a peek into what's going on so that we know what to talk about. But at the same time, she completely understands the athlete side of it, too, where you're like, I'm competing. I don't want to put things out there that I don't want out there. You know, if I'm excellent and I make a team, that should be enough. Um, yeah. So it was really interesting. Like, I wish she was here to comment on that and on the motherhood piece, too, because she yeah. loves yeah. celebrating moms, but was like, yeah, totally. Like, it shouldn't be excluding other stories. Yeah. And even just as a fan watching the show, watching the show, watching the, that's what it is, right? The, the Olympic trials is a show to like the spectators. I was like text and I'm a mother, right? I love kids and I love babies. And I was like, I'm like, wait, they're not even showing who was in one the race or who was second and third in the race. Right. And I could see that, like, you know, there was like a lack of your visibility on the screen. I couldn't even tell who, where you were, who you were. And like, Nothing to do with like the fact that you have to tell your story to be able to be seen. Just the fact that you'd finished in the top three and been a, become an Olympian, that was enough, right? We don't always have to disclose, like you're saying, like your 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 deepest kind of what everything you've gone through. I feel like you'd done enough out there to just you already are enough, right? You didn't have to do that. And I, I'm glad you tweeted because I was like, yeah, like watching that, it was like texting all my runner nerds friends like what I can't even see you know who who won the race like who were the top three you you know can you tell us what it was like after the race like were you um, being asked for interviews or um, what happened after that so we did we did all get interviews um so after the race we we did spend like an awfully long time on the track you know with the victory lab the interviews we just had to stay there and I remember I was just over it you know what I mean I'm like I'm tired I want to go but they're like wait you gotta be here you gotta be here kind of thing um so we did get interviews on the track you know um and then we did get interviews like in the warm-up area kind of thing they had like little booths set up for each of the athletes I guess to get interviewed um and I think those were live interviews so if you were watching at home you could send in questions then they would ask us and they would answer kind of thing so there was there was those but it, it was very cool but I was just very hungry I could I couldn't eat like days and days and days so when I finally got it through I'm like okay I'm excited to eat I'm very hungry I can't see right my vision is blurry kind of thing but um I still couldn't eat after like because you got me like a huge burger and fries and stuff and dessert and I just had like two fries and I'm like I can't eat my stomach is yeah you know yeah yeah 
entire yeah, yeah. too much of this stuff going on your body <laughs> yeah yeah and we like like you know we have to cool down and do a bunch of stuff like that and um and then we have to go like with to anti-doping control kind of thing and all of this so i like i left the track around like maybe 11 something so it was just a lot happening you know our podcast today is brought to you by whoop what's great about whoop is that it's completely different from your standard gps watch Whoop is focused on your body's recovery, and everyone knows that runners aren't always the best at taking days off or listening to their bodies, but I know if this sounds familiar to anyone. Every day, Whoop gives you a personalized recovery score based on things like your resting heart rate, your heart rate variability, sleep, and respiratory rate, so you can monitor the changes in your fitness. The app also has built-in features like the Strain Coach, so you can see how hard you're pushing your body every day and set goals based on your body's recovery. Overtraining and injury are huge problems for every runner, but Whoop can help you reduce those risks by listening to the underlying factors affecting your performance. Whoop isn't just for elite runners, it's for anyone who cares about improving their life, staying healthy as a runner, and hacking their way to a new PR. So head over to whoop.com and enter track at checkout to save 15%. Get to the start line healthy with Whoop. And what was it like <laughs> home? Was there a celebration? What, like, what it? What was the reception? Uh, okay, so I think a lot happened over social media. So my family is still in um, Massachusetts and then in Texas. So I, I'm I'm the only one that's in South Carolina kind of thing. And um, my coach obviously was over there. So the people that I would have celebrated with were already over there. And the celebration happened there. But when I came on social media, I was huge. Um, my boyfriend, um, he's not. Um, in the States right now. So he was just like calling, talking about, I'm so proud of you, baby. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. And, and things like that. So I think I, I got the best celebration I could possibly get, but I was just so tired. I didn't care about <laughs> none of that. I was just like, I just want to sleep because I hadn't been able to sleep during the child's either. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to sleep. <laughs> yeah. All the rounds, like just nerve wracking, just hard to, for you to shut off from that. Yes, it's almost as if everything was over, but just system is still the adrenaline. It's still very much ready to go. So it's it's like yeah, the pressure is not off, but then everything else is still the same. And it's like I got back, and for the next three days, I still wasn't able to sleep. You know, I was getting like maybe two hours, three hours of sleep for that day, and I wasn't able to eat. You know, and. At least you're so, happy, um, happy, happy, happy uh, insomnia. <laughs> I, I was happy, but I was very grumpy. I'm very grumpy oh. when I don't get sleep. Oh, yeah. So I'm, <laughs> when I finally get like six hours of sleep, I was like, yes, That's it's athletes. something. <laughs> I'm sure the U.S. athletes all feel like that because the U.S. trials, yeah. like another Olympics, it's like you have to do the emotional and physical toll of the Olympics twice in one month because it's just so hard. I think it, it may be harder than the Olympics because there is no Olympics without it, without it. So I, I think it's harder because half of your competition is already in the U.S. or if not, most of them are in the U.S. So you have to try and beat those people. So um, it, I think it's it's really a lot and you have to put like your best foot forward on that day mm-hmm. kind of thing. So I think 
because I was trying to compare it to 2019 and I'm like, I didn't feel like this in 2019. Mm-hmm. I could eat normal. I was actually mm-hmm. overly eating. I was just like, I, I could sleep. I could do, I had no stress. I was just mm-hmm. going into it. But then again, I'm also at a different stage of life where I was in college then and now I'm not in college. Like this hadn't become a profession yet, but mm-hmm. now it is my profession. So I think all those things taken into account yeah. may have contributed to why I felt the way I did. Yeah. Adds more pressure, yeah. right? right? I was going to say, do you have, did you find a way to deal with the pressure? Do you have a strategy or was this kind of the first year you you had to deal with that? Oh yeah. Um, I, I don't think there is much I don't feel pressure. I feel nervous. And I think that's a good feeling. Um, I, I do have my way of dealing with things and it's to not care. It's like, hey, whatever happened, happened. You know, I'm just going to go out there and try to leave the track with no regrets. And once I do that, then, you know, there is no pressure. I know like we all train for it, but I've put in the work, you know, I'm trusting the process and I've prayed and I've done everything that I could do up to that point. So there wasn't anything that, I, I didn't just go there trying to do something out of the blue. Yeah, It had worked, like, you know what I mean? I yeah. had worked up to that point. So mm-hmm. I just had to trust my body could deliver. And it did. Yeah. Were you ranked as, like, were you considered, like, one of the top three favorites going into? No. Wow. But did you <laughs> believe in yourself? Like, did you have it in your head that you were going to do it? Yeah. I never, I never sat myself out. I never go into a race thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to get second. I'm not going to make it. I, and there are some doubts sometimes, and I just like, hey, get away from me. You're not wanted here. Um, but I go into every race with the mindset of I'm going to win it. And I am okay if I don't win. But I'm not going into a race automatically thinking that I'm going to go for second place. And I had one of the slowest time going in this year. You know, I haven't, I hadn't been performing to the best of my ability. I hadn't been keeping up with the rest of the athletes and stuff like that. My body was working at its own progress Well, like other athletes had been running crazy fast. And it's hard when you know other athletes are running your competition and then you're not running at the same rate. But I just had to trust like when it was time, my body will deliver. But also one thing I know about me is that I am a championship athlete. Regardless of how crappy the rest of the season is, when once it's championship time, mm-hmm. I'm ready. Mm-hmm. And I always say, do not watch what I do. Don't underestimate me because my body's like, oh, championship? <laughs> Let's go. We got this. So that that was that was pretty that was pretty good. But to open up with a season best when I've been trying to hit a season best mm-hmm. all year. It was really phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, got it got it going in the right momentum. Yeah, it was the right time. Um, well, Adeline, we don't want to take too much of your time because I mean, we know you have to go to practice. And we, this is your lead up into the Olympics now. We appreciate that you even talked to us during this month. We yeah. know this month is like bubble mode, focus. Yes. We're very busy. <laughs> um, so we just wanted to ask our last question, which here at Keeping Track, we like to elevate women's sports stories. And a lot of the time, you don't get to talk about the story or the part of the story that you want to. So we just wanted to sit, ask you, is there anything you wanted to shout out? Or is there a piece of waddling that you want more people to know about before we leave? I think the shout out thing is thanks to everyone who's been praying for me and or those people that, you know, people pray for you without knowing and to those who support. And I, I'd like to say thanks to my, you know, 
thousand like my or five hundred L'Oreal social media followers that's always liking my post regardless <laughs> of what I do. And I really appreciate that because I, I I'm like you guys have like a special place in my heart because mm. it's tough out here, but I have like a good five hundred followers that's like we got you no matter what. And Hopefully you have more after this yeah, podcast. <laughs> we'll have more people following you, we hope. Thank you. But I think I think I'm not, I think I'm someone, I'm, I'm much better in person. It's so hard to bring out my personality mm -hmm. via social media. Yeah. It's like, once you meet me in person, like, whoa, she's actually cool. I mean, she may talk a lot <laughs> and nonsense, but it's cool. But on yeah. social media, it is so hard to try yeah. and bring that presence back. Yeah. It's for me, I'm not great over social media. So I do apologize. No apologies necessary. Oh. I'm with you. <laughs> no, but come on. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, that's about it. I think I, I, I can't really describe myself. I've always been one that's like, you get to see me for me. I don't get to tell you about me because then you may have this certain image of me based on what I tell you. And then when you experience me, you're like, whoa, that's not what she said. I don't, I don't like people to have certain expectations of me. I'd like you to see for yourself and then get to be, get to judge for yourself. Yeah. 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 Great. Yeah. Well, hopefully we get to meet you someday in person. And um, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. Good luck in Tokyo. I'm so happy Thank for you. you. Yeah. Thank you. Training there. I'm sure South Carolina is good preparation for the heat of Tokyo. Yeah. <laughs> worst year. It's definitely worse. The humidity is just yeah. really bad. Right. Are you racing at all before? Okay, yeah, I actually leave for Europe tomorrow. Okay. And I have two races there and then I come back and then a few days and then I leave for Tokyo. Awesome. Well, this may come out right after those races, but before the Olympics. But be cheering for Wadaline. We'll link your interviews, your race, and how to follow you. And uh, any other things, just let us know. But thanks so much for talking to yeah, us. We so happy you could take this time. Pleasure. Thank you so much for not yeah. keeping me. Yes. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Arlene. Yeah, Go thanks. get your practice in and good luck. Good luck. Get some rest. <laughs> Bye. Thank you. Bye. Keep Bye. going. Bye. Well done. Thanks so much. Keep track. Keep track. Major shout outs to What Cheer Writers Club Podcasting Studio, a nonprofit supporting Rhode Island's content creators and where Roshin and I record, and to Rudy Nakashima for our funky outro song. Thanks, guys. Hey there, and welcome to the Joy of Paddle podcast, hosted by me, Minter Dial, a veteran of the paddle tennis world, and sponsored by Paddle 1969. Whether you're a paddle tennis aficionado, just beginning or have never even heard of paddle or padel as it's called in North America. This is an exhilarating new show that delves into the captivating stories of notable paddle personalities worldwide. 
In its inaugural season, you'll be treated to exclusive anecdotes, valuable tips, life lessons, and humorous moments shared by esteemed professional paddle players, industry insiders, and passionate paddle enthusiasts. With each season aligning with the Pro Tour, you can anticipate two engaging episodes per month. The Joy of Paddle Podcast is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, where you can find other great shows in a number of categories, such as sports, health and wellness, true crime, and fiction. To find out more about Evergreen Podcasts, go to www.evergreenpodcast.com. Vamos! Vamos! 